thinking about your next career move in research and development? Then it's time to make your move to the UK. The nation that's investing £20 billion in R&D over the next two years. The nation that's home to four of the world's top research universities. The nation where great talent comes together. Visit gov.uk forward slash great talent to see how you can work, live and move to the UK. You're listening to a podcast from 702 and Cape Talk. 702 and Cape Talk. The Naked Scientist. Um, Good morning. Chris, how are you doing? Hey, good morning, Dan. How are you? I'm good. Good. I am so excited to, uh, to, to speak to you. I'm a really, really big fan, uh, fan of yours. You're not half as excited as me. <laughs> <laughs> you are too kind, too kind. Um, well, you've heard, I've just, uh, just had this, uh, this, this flu jab. Um, uh, how do flu jabs really work? Because I know that there's, there's different strains every year. Um, and some people say, well, they don't want to get a flu jab because they actually got sick after the flu uh, jab. So, so how does that really work? Well, let's lay this to rest. Flu vaccines do not give you the flu. The way they work is that, exactly as you say, because the flu changes continuously, it's a virus, and as it goes from one person to the next, the virus makes genetic spelling mistakes and its genetic information, which has the effect of changing the appearance of the virus continuously. And because your immune system works by learning to recognise what things look like, if something changes its appearance all the time, then you're always playing catch-up. And therefore, every year as the virus makes a, a circuit round the globe, when it comes to town, what your immune system sees may look subtly different to what it saw previously and it might not recognise it. That's why you need to update your immunity. The way we make vaccines, therefore, is that because it's always winter somewhere on Earth and flu tends to come during the winter season, countries which are having their flu season, like the Southern Hemisphere is currently going into its flu season now, South Africa, Australia and so on, those countries gather samples of the flu viruses that people are catching. They send them during the wintertime to the World Health Organization. The World Health Organization looks at how the virus is changing and uses those samples to make a vaccine which is then given to people in the northern hemisphere in their winter season coming and then the the role reverses the following year. So we're always updating the vaccine and giving people vaccine made from the previous season of flu in the other hemisphere. The way the vaccine is made is that those samples of flu virus which are collected from people who have had the flu, they are grown in eggs and we use chickens' eggs because they are a very useful incubator for making virus particles. You then get this uh, egg which is full of flu virus, extract the flu virus particles and then chemically dismantle them. They bust the viruses apart. It's called a split vaccine because you basically use chemicals to smash open the virus particles so they're completely deactivated. They cannot cause flu. But what they can do when injected into you is show the immune system this is what the currently circulating strain of flu looks like, make antibodies against this, and then your body makes antibodies, which are very small pieces of protein, which are sticky, and they can glue themselves onto the business end of the flu virus, stopping it from working and neutralising it. And the idea is these antibodies circulate in your blood for a period of months or years when you encounter flu, before the flu can begin to spread from one cell to the next. Every time it tries to spread, the antibodies leap on it, neutralize the virus and you don't get unwell wow okay so well hopefully that um uh, i think the whole studio crew has also been uh, jabbed so uh, hopefully we'll be free uh, from that um it's uh, 
It's uh, nine minutes past ten. Um, so people, uh, the Naked Scientist, Dr. Chris Smith, is uh, on the line. Uh, please call in for any of your questions on 011-883-0702 or 021-446-0567. And we've got Linda from Lone Hill. Yes, hi. Um, I've recently been on a flight and we went through very, very thick clouds and a lot of turbulence. And I was just wondering if the plane going through the clouds has an effect on the clouds in any way? Oh, Highland, the answer is it does. And there was a paper published in Science, I think it was about 2011 or so, when they published this paper, and they found that you get holes in clouds where the planes go through. And, and the reason you get holes is because the rain has come out of the cloud and it's left this hole behind. Now, the scientists did this by looking at aeroplane paths and routes and there are millions of flights being logged all the time by the aviation authorities in many countries there are also lots of very detailed weather pattern maps and satellite images and what a group of researchers in the US did is they married up where the aeroplanes had gone with cloud configurations and they found these clouds with holes in them overwhelmingly corresponding to where aeroplanes had been taking off or landing why does this happen? Well, the, the configuration of an aeroplane wing means that as air goes around the wing, you get vortices, areas of very low pressure. And if you have areas of very low pressure, then you encourage water vapour to actually form droplets in those regions and condense because the temperature drops because of low pressure. And if you get big droplets forming, you form rain. And so basically you make the cloud drop its water as rain and that leaves a hole in the cloud. And that's what they found. And so it does rain more often downwind of airports. Wow, fascinating. And on aeroplane takeoff uh, flight paths. So also, could we actually change the weather? Well, effectively you are, because if you have uh, an aeroplane provoking rain, you are making clouds drop water where they otherwise wouldn't have dropped water. Now, it's not a huge effect, because the amount of water in a cloud amounts to, you know, thousands of tonnes, and the amount of water that's dropped because of one small aeroplane going through one small part of a cloud process is, is relatively small as a proportion. But given enough flights, given enough time, you're definitely changing the weather, albeit in a small way. Thank you. Great. Thanks, Linda. Um, we're going to go to... Uh, let's go to Vincent in Musenberg. Vincent, good morning. Hi, good morning, Chris. Uh, something I've wondered about for many years. Why don't we sneeze when we're sleeping? Well, we had this debate a while ago, Vincent, and, and we actually did a little straw poll, and some people said they did sneeze when they were sleeping. Others said that they didn't. Um, so the jury's sort of out. Um, it's a piece of research not to be sniffed at, I suppose you could say, isn't it? There <laughs> uh, was a very low number of people in our sample. I think it was about five people we asked. Um, there are a number of possibilities. You definitely are, are, are disturbed in your sleep if you have an itchy nose or a cough or a cold. We definitely wake up because we're coughing or, or that kind of thing. So you definitely pres preserve and protect your, your airway in your sleep. The sneeze reflex is because something irritates the lining of your nose. It could be tickling the hairs in your nose. It could be uh, a virus which is tickling the nerves lining your nose because you have an infection. It could be an allergy. And the tickling of those nerves in your nose goes back to the brainstem, which is the structure connecting your spinal cord to the top part of your brain. And a lot of your unconscious reflexes are processed there. And the sneeze reflex also is processed there because the tickle sensations come into that part of the nervous system. And there's a, a sort of reflex system wired up to the processes that make you breathe and, and open and close your, your larynx and that kind of thing. 
So, the question is, does this get deactivated when we go to sleep? Lots of processes do get deactivated when we go to sleep, so it's perfectly possible that that's one of them. I'm not aware of anyone having done a, a proper trial to see if people sneeze in their sleep. Certainly, I know some people who said they've woken up and sneezed, but it might be because they're awake by the time they sneeze that they could sneeze. Others said they'd never sneezed in their sleep, but then they wouldn't know because they were asleep. So I think we need a decent clinical trial. <laughs> if one exists and someone knows about this, please do tell me, because it would be really nice to lay this one to rest or put it to bed, I suppose you could say. Yeah, <laughs> Thanks, Vincent. Um, all right, we're going to go to, to Jane in Johannesburg. Hi, Jane. Hi. Hi, Chris. Um, I'd like to find out what your take is on stem cell therapy as a cure for autism. Oh, hi, Jane. Well, uh, First and foremost, what stem cell therapy? Well, the idea is that we can take a cell, and it could be an adult cell that we reprogram to become a stem cell, and a stem cell is something that can give rise to all of the other cells, or at least a proportion of the other cells that make up a part of the body or a whole body. What is autism? Well, autism is a neurodevelopmental disorder which appears to manifest in the first years of life and it's caused by, or has a, a variety of intensities of, of symptoms ranging from mild symptoms to very severe symptoms. It causes behavioural change. People tend to be socially uh, reclusive. They don't engage well with other people. They find it intimidating dealing with other people and, uh, and, and there are a range of other abnormal behaviours that go with it. We don't really understand autism except to say that there does appear to be a genetic link to it there does also appear to be when you brain scan people with forms of autism some kind of change in the way that different parts of the brain talk to each other the connectivity in the brains of people with autism and Asperger's which is a related phenomenon is different now there's there's therefore uh, it's hard to argue that putting a stem cell in there is the answer straight away because it may be that things are all there but wired up the wrong way and we need to change the wiring not the numbers of cells we don't yet know enough about autism what causes autism or even how to perhaps change the wiring of the brain to reverse the effects of autism before we can start saying ah this is the therapy for autism great thanks jane i hope that answers your question uh, the time is quarter past 10, and you're listening to Cape Talk in 702. My name's Dion Chang, um, and I'm the Friday stand-in. 702 and Cape Talk. The Naked Scientist. It's 19 minutes past 10, and you're listening to Dion Chang. I'm the Friday stand-in for Reedy Clubby, and you're listening to um, The Naked Scientist. Um, Chris, I've got an SMS here, and this is uh, one of those eternal questions I think uh, sports people really, really, really uh, want to ask. So it says, hi, Chris. Does refraining from sex before taking part in a sporting event help improve performance during sport or not? Thank you. From Mandla. Well, ahead of the World Cup, a few years back now, not the, not the one that was in South Africa, but the one before that, then scientists did actually look at this because a number of football coaches have always said to their players, nothing on a Friday if you're on on Saturday. And there's not really any very good evidence to support this. Now, obviously, th this, this depends on what you get up to in the bedroom, of course, because some <laughs> people might be more athletic than others. And if you go pulling a muscle or you get injured in some strange way, then um, uh, perhaps that might compromise your game, let's say. But for the most people practicing what people would judge to be normal activities in the bedroom area, then I don't think there's any evidence whatsoever that this is going to impair your game. Uh, if someone keeps you up all night, makes you tired and you can't think straight because you're poorly rested, 
that's a problem. But if you have relaxing consensual sex, that means that you get a good night's sleep, actually, you're probably going to play better the next day. So I think it's horses for courses. <laughs> All right, Mandla, I hope that's, uh, that's uh, given you some guidelines for the weekend. Um, uh, we're going to go to Gideon in Cape Town. Gideon? <laughs> Hi, Gideon, you there? Yes, yeah, no, good morning. Uh, I'm always curious uh, to, you know, to think about this. That, um, I make my own beer. Now, uh, and what I do is I use all natural products like pure honey, fountain uh, uh, water or spring water, um, and natural hops you know, that, that I grow myself. Now, what is worse for you, drinking a beer that I make or drinking a soda pop with artificial colorants and sweeteners and whatnot? Well, I think it depends how much you drink. Because uh, if you were to drink too much of anything, I mean water, if you drink too much water, it can be the purest, most refreshing spring water in the world. If you drink too much of it, you will kill yourself because it will poison you because anything in excess is a poison. Pop and fizz and that kind of thing, in small doses, it's fun. It's probably not going to do you any harm. If you do it regularly, you're going to have no teeth, so you're going to look like you've bitten on a brick. You're also probably going to weigh 50 stone and you're probably going to have diabetes. Beer, if you drink 50 pints of beer a day, you will rot your liver. You will probably fall down the stairs and crack your head open. That will be bad for you too. So everything in moderation, drinking sensibly, drinking responsibly, whether it's water, fizz or beer, it's the same message. But in terms of actually uh, you know, what, what you're making, it sounds great. And congratulations, but drink responsibly. Thanks for that. Great, thanks Gideon. Um, I'm going to go to Brian in Hermanus. Hi Brian. Yeah, hi. Good morning, Chris. Um, Chris, antibiotics. Um, you all know that last year they announced uh, Tyxobactin, which um, they claimed was the first new biotic in, antibiotic in 30 years discovered. Um, does this mean that all the ethical antibiotics that um, uh, seem to be um, a plethora of, of at um, a physician's hands, are, are they all variants on a theme of a, of a small core of, um, of tried and tested antibiotics? Good question. Texabactin um, came out a couple of years ago, and this was the first example of a new compound which was recovered from soil bacteria. The researchers who made that discovery made it by coming up with a clever way of making the previously unculturable culturable. It will probably shock many people to know that the vast majority, more than 80% of the antibiotic compounds that we have, come from nature. They are made by other microorganisms which over the millions and billions of years they've been evolving in the soil and in the environment fighting off other microorganisms have evolved to make these chemicals that suppress the growth of the competition. So what humans have done is to come along and steal the, the chemical know-how of these compounds and then we use them to fight off those same microorganisms and their relatives in our own bodies. The problem is that only a tiny fraction, maybe 10% of the bugs that grow in the environment, are capable of being grown in the laboratory. Therefore, maybe 90% of the compounds that the other 90% of these bugs that we can't grow can make were unknown to us. And this new compound, scientists came up with a very clever way of making these bacteria establish colonies by fooling them into thinking they were still growing in a, blump, in a lump of soil when in fact they were growing in a laboratory. And they got this compound out. It's very potent. The problem we have at the moment is that the drug pipelines for making new antimicrobial compounds are perilously empty. And the reason for this is it costs so much money, both in laboratory time, scientist time, and then the ethics and the red tape involved in doing clinical trials. And 
pharmaceutical companies don't judge this to be a good risk worth investing in. They'd much rather make blood pressure tablets and anti-acids, which people who have problems with their blood pressure or their stomach are going to take for decades and make them all their money back because they can't risk the up to $10 billion it might cost them to develop a new antibiotic, which, let's face it, if it's any good, it cures people almost instantly and then no one wants any more of it. And with the rising trend in antibiotic resistance, very quickly these drugs might develop resistance in the wider um, bacterial community and then they might be consigned to the annals of history and they'll never make their money back. So the big problem at the moment is incentivising drug companies to invest in making new antibiotics. Thanks. Great. Thanks, Brian. Um, Jeanette in Lone Hill. Good morning. Yeah, good morning. Thanks for taking my call. Um, Chris, I wonder if you could help me, please. My daughter was, um, at the age of 13, she developed these dots on her scalp um, and was itching and driving her crazy. Then, after a few years, they did biopsies, and she's got something called crystalline folliculitis. Now, I've written to professors, dermatologists, varsity. They say there's not enough, a big enough sample base for, for them to, to decide on how we treat this. Do you know anything about it? I must admit that I don't, and that's probably a reflection on the fact that it's rare. A folliculitis means some kind of inflammation in the hair follicle. I'm not sure what the cause of this is, and therefore I can't really give you any clear advice other than to... to take recourse to the internet because the the great boon of the internet is that it has united the world and even people with rare conditions generally find other people by connecting up with them on the internet and you might find that you can either get a group of people together or one already exists and perhaps uh, people have come up with some kind of explanation for what this condition is and what the best way to manage it is by by sharing um, data amongst albeit a small group of people. Yeah, thanks. I have I have done that, and like you know, they're only about eleven worldwide. So, if you ever find yeah, I'm sorry, I haven't come across it. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you very much. Great. Thanks, Jeanette, and uh, good luck uh, to you. Um, Chris, there's a, I, I'm going to have to jump in here. It's a, such an opportunity. I have to ask you some vexing questions, or at least one question. Um, the one was really scientific. It's like, um, why do you always run out of peppercorns in the pepper mill when you really, really need it? Um, but, but the one that I really want to ask you, don't have to answer that one, is, um, you know... Well, I can answer that one, which oh, is right. that you only notice. The thing is, when you really need it is when you use it, and you only really notice that you're using it and having a problem with it when it has a problem. It's a bit like... But like kind of, um, it's coincidence, isn't it? So all the times that you use it and it works fine, you don't notice. Um, it, yeah, it's, it's very, very frustrating. But but one that I do want to ask is, um, you know, especially, uh, you know, I think all guys will relate to this. Um, you know, we, we had uh, the one blade uh, razor and then you had, to, you had to have two blades. Then you had to have three blades and then you had to have five. How many blades do you really, really need to, to have to actually have a clean shave? Well, you just get an electric shaver, which is what I got. Because, I, I, you know, these things go blunt in no time. They cost an arm and a leg. And exactly. then you cut yourself. And, uh, and also you get dry. You know, some people get quite sensitive skin, get dry skin because the, the soap that you put on disturbs your microbiome, the bugs that live on your skin. They open up little holes around their hair follicles and the bugs get in. And uh, it's a mess. I just get an electric shaver. Far easier. Put it on charge. Shave much quicker. No messing around. Right, uh, we'll take that advice, and uh, as you say... Or you can wax your face. I mean, <laughs> I've, not, I've not considered that, actually. Maybe I'll try that next. You can sort of facial waxing could be another option, I suppose. A bit painful, though. 
No, I'll, and, and as you said, I think uh, the, the the cost of these uh, five blade Teflon coated whatever 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 um, uh, the costs really are are, are quite eye watering. Um, but thank you. It's been a great pleasure just to chat to you really, really one on one as well. Um, and uh, I always look forward to your your slot. So thank you very, very much. And oh, uh, thanks, we'll, Dan. We'll Have a nice later. day and enjoy the rest of your show. Great. Thank you so much. Um, Goodbye. It's just before 10.30 and it's time for Eyewitness Headline News uh, with Regan Thorne. A very good morning to you. Thank you very much. A man accused of an arson attack on a train at Cape Town Station will be back in court next week. He was taken into custody after several carriages were gutted in a fire early this month. It was one of several incidents in which metro infrastructure was torched or vandalized across the city, crippling train services. A search is underway for suspects behind two shootings in Cape Town which targeted police officers. In the most recent incident, a constable was shot and wounded in Guguletu. Earlier this week, another SAPS member was shot dead outside his Philippi East home. And students at Rhodes University say they won't end their anti-rape protest until 11 alleged rapists are taken off campus. Several students have brought the Eastern Cape Institution to a virtual standstill, demanding action be taken against the alleged perpetrators of sexual violence. These stories and much more at 11, or as it happens. EWN Traffic. At the moment, traffic is heavily backed up on the N12 in both directions. That's between Ochis and Emelasheni due to earlier multiple accidents. Rather use the N4 as an alternative. Roadworks in Neutcher Dacht are causing about a 20-minute delay on the N14. That's the Krugerstorp Highway eastbound between Malibongo Drive and the R511. Rather use the R114 at this stage. In Sharon Lee, faulty traffic lights at Malibongo Drive and President Forshia are still causing heavy delays. Traffic lights are also not working in Dunkeld at Bompers and Jansmatz. And in Cape Town on Verwacht Road in Strand remains closed off to traffic between Broadway Boulevard and Michael Street due to protests in Nomzamo. Karabachali EWN traffic. It's almost two weeks since we launched the 702 Walk the Talk 2016 and we're already sitting on 12,000 plus entries and counting. At this rate, the limit of 50,000 walkers is not far off. Stop thinking about it. Go to walkthetalk.co.za now. Pick your distance and claim your place at Joburg's favorite event before someone else does. The 702 Walk the Talk 2016. Marks Park Sports Club, Emerentia, Sunday, 24th of July. What are you walking for? Entries are limited to 50,000 hosted by the city of Joburg, a world-class African city. With so many ads about buying gold, it's challenging to know who you can trust and who is going to give you the best price. Trust the name you know, Gold Capital. Gold Capital will give you cash for your luxury items, whether it's gold jewelry, diamonds, Krugerrands, luxury watches, or other gold coins. Gold Capital, South Africa's trusted gold brokers since 1992. To make an appointment, call Gold Capital today. For more info, visit goldcapital.co.za. Picture a young man having dinner with his new wife. You know what, babe? Thinking about your next career move in research and development? Then it's time to make your move to the UK. The nation that's investing £20 billion in R&D over the next two years. The nation that's home to four of the world's top research universities. The nation where great talent comes together. Visit gov.uk forward slash great talent to see how you can work, live and move to the UK.